to uh, set the context of the sermon, I'm going to read two short passages uh, from the Bible. The first from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. And from that passage of Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, for all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These past couple of weeks, every time that I've reflected on those Bible readings for today, the thing that keeps coming to my mind every time is the song from Godspell. Do you know what I'm talking about? Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Sing that with me. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. You sound pretty good. If I had been better prepared ahead of time, I would have had the praise band work up a rocking version of that song for this morning. But as usual, I was not prepared well enough in advance to do that, which is kind of ironic given the theme for today, <laughs> prepare. I guess I need to take my own advice. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what the scripture says. That's our theme for today and really for the entire season of Advent, prepare. But what does it mean to prepare the way of the Lord? We know what it means to prepare for Christmas. That, that's usually how we think about Advent as the season to prepare for Christmas. Stringing up the lights, putting up the Christmas tree, getting the house all festive and merry, baking the cookies, buying the gifts, wrapping the gifts, making sure you didn't forget anyone, comparing what you spent on all the kids to make sure that it's fair. That part of it, the gifts, Laura's already taken care of most of that. She is well prepared. She, she does the gift shopping way in advance. I just need to come up with a couple of ideas for a couple of kids and a few things for her, and that's it. She's taking care of everything else. Not that I'm unwilling to do more of the shopping, but you know it's that being prepared in advance part that I already talked about. Not quite my forte. Laura has been on me to put up the outdoor Christmas lights for several weeks now. Some of our neighbors have had theirs up since the day after Thanksgiving. I finally got ours up yesterday, which being the day before Advent even starts, I consider that a huge win. <laughs> now for the indoor decorations. There's, there's a house at the end of our street that has had their tree up for a week now. I can see it shining merrily and brightly each night 
taunting me to no end. <laughs> you know what I'll be doing this afternoon. When you ask someone, are you prepared for Christmas? That's usually where our mind goes. Are the decorations in place? How much more shopping do I have to do? When am I going to get all the baking done? We go through our mental list of all the things we need to do to get ready. And our response is usually related to how successful we've been at planning ahead and getting them done. For most adults, the response to, are you prepared for Christmas, is somewhere between, I'm getting there, to, don't even ask. Not so with kids. You ask a child, are you prepared for Christmas, and they'll be shouting, yes, I can't wait, before you even finish the question. Now, you could be cynical and bah humbug about that and say, well, sure, but they don't have to do anything to get ready. But then again, what exactly is it that we're getting ready for? To what end do all of our extensive preparations lead? And will we... At the end of all those preparations, will we find that same enthusiasm and childlike excitement in our celebrations? Author James Tracy writes, Christmas summons images of family gathered around a decorated tree, of music and light and the comforting smell of a special dinner cooking on a snowy winter day. Carolers at the door, sleigh rides, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, and sugar plums also play, come into play, although almost no one today experiences any of these. Memories shimmering with the sheen of childhood magic emerge of Santa Claus as the mysterious impish distributor of presents found on Christmas morn under the tree. These images are appealing and powerful, he writes. They offer a yuletide in which people greet their fellow warmly in a seasonal harbor from an otherwise cold society, a light-filled and entertaining respite from the gray of winter, a time when we are given gifts and when values are realigned into the proper chain of being, with family and friendship taking their proper place at the top of our lives hierarchy. These are wholesome, deeply resonant symbols of the values we hold dear and of a world for which we yearn. But, Tracy continues, is this the Christmas we actually experience? How many people standing in line at the malls would say that their Christmas season is replete with warmth, affection, and neighborliness? In fact, Christmas is experienced by most adults as a time of intensified stress. They feel obliged to go through the motions of preparation for what they have been socialized to believe as our yuletide necessities, spending large portions of their income on obligatory gifts and long hours of increasingly limited leisure time fighting for parking spaces, in the process piling up debts that may take months to repay. Now those words were written pre-COVID. Nowadays, online shopping has largely replaced fighting for parking spaces at the mall. But other than that, I think the analysis stands, at least for most. If that's not your experience, then God bless you. But for many of us, that is what it means to prepare for Christmas, to accomplish any number of stress-inducing and spirit-sapping chores, not to mention going to incredible financial expense, trying to make the holiday merry and bright. And yet, if we truly understood Christmas, 
And by understanding Christmas, I, I don't mean the cultural holiday that so many people celebrate on December 25th, whether or not they have any grounding in biblical faith. By understanding Christmas, I mean recognizing what it means to welcome Christ into the world. What it means that God has come in the flesh to be one of us, to be one with us, to save us, to bring us hope and peace and joy and love. The kind of hope, peace, joy, and love that can come from nothing in this world. If we really understood Christmas... We wouldn't need any of those secular wrappings to make the holiday merry and bright. Not that the secular wrappings are bad, but then again, maybe they are. If, if they take us away from the kind of celebration that the Bible promises, if they obscure the hope, if they detract from the peace, if they sap the joy, if they dampen the love, then are they of Christ? The fact is, many of the preparations that we consider so deathly important to our celebration of Christmas have nothing at all to do with Christ. The Bible doesn't say anything, not one word, about preparing for Christmas. It tells us to prepare for Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That is what the Bible says. That, that's what the prophet Isaiah said. It's what John the Baptist said. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What is this preparation to which the Bible calls us? In Isaiah, just after crying out, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, the next thing that the prophet says is this. In Isaiah 40, verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. This is a vision of, of the eschatological time when God will make all things right in the world. It's not talking about physical mountains and valleys as if God is going to flatten out the surface of the ground so that there are no more ups and downs and the earth is perfectly smooth. He's talking about the ways of the world. There are some who have more than they could ever possibly use. Those are the mountains that are going to be brought low. There are others who starve for lack of food and die for lack of medicine. They are the valleys that will be raised up. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. Life, which is often so difficult, so rocky, will not always be that way. One day God will sort it all out. It's the same thing that Mary, the mother of Jesus, proclaimed of God. While the Christ child was still growing within her, Luke 1, 51 to 53, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away. 
the powerful, brought down from their lofty heights, the lowly raised up and given plenty. It's the same theme in both scriptures, both of them stated in reference to the coming of Christ, both of them obviously an act of God. It is God who accomplishes these things. Only God could perfectly smooth out the surface of the earth. So too, only God can perfectly reframe all human affairs. And it is through Jesus Christ that God will bring about that kind of leveling and justice. It's a promise of God that depends upon God to carry it out. We can't make it happen. We can only rejoice that God is doing it. In that sense, we receive Christ the same way that a child receives Christmas. Are you ready? You bet I'm ready. I can't wait. Just as as the child eagerly and excitedly opens the presents on Christmas morning that they didn't have to do anything for, that is how we receive the blessings of Christ. God's justice comes to the earth through Christ. God's mercy comes to us Through Christ, the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of the Lord come to us as a gift of Christ. All we have to do is receive it. How exciting is that? We don't do anything to make it happen. We can't do anything to earn it. We we can't bring it about any more than we can make Christmas come through all of our preparations. Christmas Day is going to roll around whether we do anything to prepare for it or not. And that is the way with the kingdom of Christ as well. However, just as Christmas is a whole lot more enjoyable if we have made the preparations, so too will it be far better for us if we have prepared for the coming of Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. God is coming. Christ is coming. Prepare. This preparation, it goes far beyond just passive receiving. There is some action required on our part. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, we can't force the coming of Christ. Only God could cause a virgin to conceive. Only God could bring Jesus into the world. Only God will bring the kingdom true fruition. But he does tell us to get ready. He wants us to do something while we wait. And John the Baptist shows us what it means to prepare for the Lord. Mark 1, 4 says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the very next verse after the quote from Isaiah about preparing the way of the Lord, and this is what it's about. Repentance. This is the first step in preparing for the Christ. Repentance. John the Baptist appeared preaching a baptism of repentance. You see, if Christ is coming to turn everything around, then the first thing we need to do to prepare for that is to acknowledge that we've gotten all mixed up, to admit that we have been facing the wrong way. 
Our ways of life have been corrupted by sin. Our minds have become confused. Our spirits are fallen. Our priorities have gotten all out of whack. We need to repent to invite that change, to welcome that transformation of life that Jesus brings. And that's no easy thing to repent because it means being ready to turn our lives over to Christ, that we will no longer be in control. What has mattered to us so deeply in the past, perhaps even going back to childhood, we have to be ready to give that up if it is not of Christ. Things that we have considered high priority might have to go by the wayside if they are not in line with Christ. That's what it means to repent, to say, I know that I have been corrupted by sin. I know that I have desired things which lead away from Christ, and I don't want that anymore. I'm ready for Christ to make me over anew so that I desire only him. Prepare the way of the Lord in our hearts and in our minds. Make straight in the desert of our worn and weary souls a highway for our God. And so John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But preparing the way of the Lord is more than just desiring that Christ will transform us. Preparing is also practicing. Practicing the dictates of his kingdom. Putting his ways into practice. Living as he would have us live. The Gospel of Luke tells the same story as our reading from Mark, the, the quote from Isaiah and John the Baptist's call to repentance. But Luke tells more of the story. People were coming to John the Baptist, asking him what more they should do, how they should live. And in Luke 3.11, John answered them, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. He gave other examples to other people of how they ought to live, and, and they all point to this. If you are truly repenting, if you really want to prepare for the Lord, then you need to start practicing kingdom living now. You have to start living by the principles of Christ's kingdom now in this world. Because if you wait until the kingdom comes, you won't be ready for it. If you say, well, I'll just live my life for myself now while I'm in this world, and Christ will change me when it's time. No! Christ wants to change you now. He wants you to start living for him now. Granted, you won't get it perfect. You'll still make mistakes, we all do. But if you're not trying, then you're not preparing. You prepare by practicing. Prepare the way of the Lord. Let go of selfish ambition. Be done with gratifying unchristian desires. Put others first. Become a servant of all. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others. Give without expecting a return. Make peace with your enemies. Work for justice for the oppressed. Care for the environment. All of these things that it's so easy to say, well, when Christ comes, he'll take care of all that. Yes. Yes, when Christ comes, he will take care of all of that. And you'd better be ready to live into it. Which means you need to prepare now. How prepared will you be if you haven't even practiced? Practice the ways of the kingdom now. Do away with your worldly ways and let Christ take control now. There are so many things that we put off. So many things that I put off. I've already told you about that. This is one thing that we cannot put off. Regardless of what you do or don't do to prepare for Christmas, you need to prepare for Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. 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 As we enter into this season of Advent, we have the joy and the privilege to receive this holy sacrament which Christ has given to us to fill us with his grace, to pour his love into us, to make us one with his body and one with each other. And so as we prepare to receive this sacrament, we remember that night that Jesus gathered with his disciples for that last meal together, that Passover meal, the night before he gave himself up for us, the sacrifice which would save us. And during that meal, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them saying, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup blessed it and gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. O oh, gracious and holy God, we thank you that you have called us to be your holy community, that you have invited us into your family and that you have called us to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare for the coming of Christ. And so as we do that, Lord, as we prepare our hearts, as we prepare our minds, as we prepare our lives, we cry out to you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your power and strength, that we might receive that as we receive this sacrament of communion this day. I pray, Lord, that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on us, all of us gathered here together, and on these gifts of 
the bread and the juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.